You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. You can follow along Psalm chapter 51. The sermon series we've been hitting since the beginning of January is this. It's pray like never before. We want to be a people that God calls us to be. We want to be a people here in our church that pray like never before. We don't just want to have a third pillar at the front of our church that we look at every day that says we believe firmly in the power of prayer. We want to be a people who actually believe that to the point where we're a people who diligently seek the Lord in prayer and see the power of prayer come alive in our lives. Amen? And so what we've done is we've, we're, what we're doing this, 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 to start this new year is, is setting us up to be a whole year filled on prayer. And so I'm just going through the acrostic pray. And last week we talked about praise and the foundation for our whole prayer life is praise. It's, it's, this is what gives substance to our prayer lives. It's our eyes and our hearts bowed before God with an emphasis on Him more than it is on myself. When we do that, when we start there, when we get our eyes on Jesus, you know what we learn pretty quickly? That man, God is so holy and I am not. And there's a whole lot of repentance that needs to come from my lips before I do anything else. And so the R of the pray is repentance. You want to pray the Bible way? You want to pray like never before? It starts with praise, getting your eyes adoring Jesus Christ. And then it moves to a spirit of repentance in our prayers. Making sure that your heart is right with God before you go Plowing into the presence of God. I think it's one area of our prayers we often miss. Again, I said it last week. We get so consumed with God I want, God I need, that we forget that God first calls us. God first calls us to be in a right relationship with Him before anything else. And that is marked in our prayers. So often I think we have in our North American church's picture of prayer being like peaceful on your knees with your hands folded, this glowing, kind of like this. It's kind of peaceful glowing. That is a part of prayer. But if you look at the biblical mandate for prayer, it also involves this. Uh, more oftentimes it involves this. It involves an intense pursuit of God on our faces before God, begging for his presence and his forgiveness. And this is where we need to be on a daily basis. As much as the hands in the air is on our face saying, God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. Because do you realize this? Do you realize this? That sin is the greatest barrier to not just your relationship with God, but to your prayer life. What keeps you from praying? What keeps you from having a full and vibrant prayer life? One word. Sin. If I were to ask you what keeps you from your prayer life, you'd probably give me a whole lot of answers. Some of you would say it's, it's really my inability. I'm just not good at talking to God. And, and my sentence structure isn't good enough for the Lord. That's bogus. God doesn't care how we talk to him, right? He doesn't care about our sentence structure. Some of us would say it's my, it's my insecurity. I'm just so shy in coming before the Lord and my thoughts are too jumbled and, and he's not going to make any sense out of what's coming off my lips. That's just bogus too. Some would say it's my inopportunity. It's just I'm so busy, I just don't have time. I'm so busy, I just don't have time. Those are all false. Those are all simply excuses that we give to not pray. But you know what the, the true barrier to prayer is? The true thing that keeps us from prayer? It is simply sin. And when we realize that, we realize that then repentance becomes part of our verbiage in our prayers because where sin abounds, my desire to pray and my effectiveness in my prayers plummets faster than today's stock market or the Canadian dollar. And it's not that God can't hear the prayers of a sinner. Clearly he does, but here's what sin does. Sin disrupts my relationship with God and renders my prayers mute before God. It's not that you can lose God's love for you. You can't lose God's love. You remember when you were a teenager and you used to rebel against your dad? Some of you are still in that place. Let this be the object lesson for you. Remember when you were a teenager and you used to rebel against your dad? And, and that, that connection, that fellowship, that community was, was, was just, it was off and you, you couldn't have a conversation. And you, remember that? Remember that feeling? I had that a lot as a teenager. It's not that my dad stopped loving me. It's just that the, the, the connection was gone. It was... He, there had to be some humility on my part to come into his presence in a right relationship for our communication and our fellowship to be perfect and sweet. That's the same with God. 
The same with God, and so repentance and confession is a must in our prayer lives. The first concern of our hearts when we come to God in prayer is, is that we are walking in a right relationship with God first and foremost. Amen? You know the biggest thing you need? you got all your needs. You know the biggest thing you need before the Lord? It's not even your basic needs of food and lodging and shelter. It's to have a healthy and right relationship with Him, a pure and holy heart before God. That's your greatest need before God every single day of your life. So it serve us well to learn to repent like never before. Some of you only say repentance prayers when you do the big sins. The things that other people notice are the things you think are going to make a big difference. But, but it says in Isaiah 59, listen to this, Isaiah 59 verse 2. It's not just the big sins that God wants us to repent from. It says this, but your iniquities, the big and the small, have made a separation between you and your God. He's yours and you are his. But your sin has made a separation. It's growing distance between you and God. And your sins, listen to what it says, have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear her. says the same thing in Psalm 66, 18 and Proverbs 1, 28 and 29. Write those down and look them up after. Don't take my word for it. Psalm 66, 18 and Proverbs 1, 28 and 29. Our greatest struggle in our prayer life in relationship with God is simply a result of sin. And when we sin, God has no obligation to hear or answer our prayers if we're walking in unconfessed sin. So Psalm 38, 18 says, so then, because I know this, I confess my iniquity to God. I am sorry for my sin. Somehow we've gotten to this idea that, that repentance is a one-time deal. I ask God to forgive me of my sin, and then I'm all good for the rest of my life. That is just not true. That is false. Repentance, it says in Matthew 3, is an ongoing evidence. It's an ongoing fruit of God in your life. It's an ongoing reality of a healthy, God-fearing believer is Repentance. So we're going to look at Psalm 51. This is the, the chief psalm of repentance in the Bible. You've obviously read this many times, I'm sure, and heard many sermons on it. There's many more psalms of, of repentance or, or peni, peni, sorry, penitential psalms as, um, as they go. Psalm 6 is one of them, Psalm 25, Psalm 32, Psalm 130, and Psalm 143. But there's none more compelling than Psalm 51. If you see in the subscription here, it's to the choir master. The title is, Created Me a Clean Heart, O God. It's a psalm of David. It says right here, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And so this is the psalm that comes from the heart of David. Remember the man after God's own heart? The, the, the David that saw this beautiful woman and took her to lay with her and she was married to somebody else and so he got himself in this whole mess of things and so then what did he do? He had the, her husband, the general, Uriah, he had him sent to the front lines of battle so he could be killed and this just created chaos in Bathsheba's life. Obviously, Uriah had a big struggle with this whole process too, right? He was no longer alive and then David's life just seemed to like, his family just fell apart because of his sin and so Nathan the prophet comes to him and he comes to him and says, David, you sinned and, and then David's response is what is found in 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 Psalm 51, and David doesn't skirt the issue or make excuses. You know what he does? He simply falls on his knees before God in intense, honest, real, gut-wrenching, heart-moving repentance. It's a great model for us of what it really means to come before the Lord and have pure hearts before God. And honestly, you add this to your prayer life, it's going to take your prayer life to a whole new level. Listen to what it says in Psalm 51. This is part of what ought to be a a part of our everyday communion with God. It says in verse 1, listen, here's David's heart pouring prayer to God. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. 
Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10. O God, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, God, the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. It's not what we kind of associate with our little prayer meetings in North America, is it? Just like this on my face, plain, honest, oh my goodness, I failed. We want to protect ourselves and pretend it's all good. And and yet many of us wonder why our prayers aren't being answered. And your relationship with God doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And chances are it could be that you're in a season, but it could also be that you are missing the, one of the most important elements of what the Bible calls our prayer lives, and that is repentance, of the cry of your heart to have a pure and holy and clean heart before the Lord as David did. And so this is one of the most powerful parts of your prayer life that you can endeavor to be engrossed in. It's prayers of repentance. And here's three cries in this passage, three cries of a repentant heart. And the first one is in verses 1 and 2. Three cries of a repentant heart. I encourage you and challenge you, make this a part of your everyday prayer life and you will, your prayer life will take off. It'll never be the same. You'll pray like never before. The first one is this. God, I need your mercy every day. Look what David says. He starts his prayer not with, hey God, it'd be nice if I had a bigger kingdom. It'd be nice if I had some more cavalry. It'd be nice if I had some more food, greater luxuries. Look what he says. He says this. This is our greatest need every day. He says, look at this. God, have mercy on me. According to your steadfast, what is it? Love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, O God. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you realize what the prayer of repentance is rooted in? It's not rooted in an angry God who's out to get you and he can't wait for you to tell you your sins so that he can stomp you and punish you and all those things. It's rooted in, what's it say here? A God of mercy. A God of not just second chances, but like a hundred chances and a thousand chances. This is what our prayers of repentance are rooted in. Sometimes I don't think we go to God in repentance when we're afraid he's going to stomp us. But this is to have mercy on me. It's rooted in the love of God. A God who loves you and cares for you enough to forgive your sins and make you whole again. Reality is what you and I need most from God every day is a fresh encounter with his mercy and love. It's easy to see that the waves of this world thrash us back and forth, causing us to get our eyes off of the Lord and and be sucked into the current of sin. And so what we need is God's mercy to simply stay anchored and secured in Jesus. We need God's love to give us buoyancy and hope in this life. And after praise, repentance is a natural overflow of our praise. When we see God and who he is, it just helps us see who we are. Man, do I need the mercy and the love of God again today? Because the reality is this verse could be said about you or I. We have so many transgressions, don't we? We have so many iniquities and we have so much sin that even sometimes still nails us as believers in Jesus Christ. We need him to cleanse us of these things on a daily basis. Reality is we don't deserve forgiveness for anything. But the reality is also that God in his grace has given us the opportunity to come and get forgiveness new every single morning. His mercies are new every single morning for for the things that we do every single day that, that transgress his law or break his code of conduct. For the iniquity that crops up in our lives. Iniquity be the gross immoral behavior that sometimes we astound ourselves with. And the sin that we seem to gravitate to every single day, that what is sin is anything that falls short of the glory of God and misses the mark of what God has set before us. These three words describe you and I, and if you're sitting here thinking it doesn't describe me, you're deceived and you're wrong. These three words describe you and I, transgressions and iniquity and sin. 
But the words before this describe the God that we bring them to, a God of mercy and a God of love. It says in Psalm 103, get this, that God who is merciful, is merciful and gracious and he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, not always chiding or scolding, waving his finger and nagging, but he's quick to forgive and not deal with us according to what our sins deserve. No amens on that? Isn't that amazing? And yet we miss out on the mercy and the love of God when we refuse to acknowledge our sin or we choose to just go busting past, you know, into the praise, into the, into the asking, into the, the next thing that's on the list. We, we, we miss out on the power of the love and the mercy of God anew every day when we miss out on calling out to God for his mercy. I know some of you are thinking already this morning, I just want to clarify for you, some of you thinking, but I thought Jesus Christ cleansed me once and for all, and so that I now stand justified before God. Yes, that is true. Jesus Christ has cleansed you once and for all. But the other reality is we won't be perfected until I meet Jesus in glory. And so even though positionally I am perfect before God, practically, clearly, I am not And so as we journey through life, it's a continual act of like, God, I am on the process of being purified, I'm on the, or sorry, perfected, but in the meantime, I need to be purified again in the grace of Jesus, knowing that you love me and you care for me. Our life is sort of like driving down the 406 in the, in the slushy winter. Before I leave every morning, I make sure the windshield is clean, and, and I don't even get out to the 406, and there's slush on my windshield. I'm doing the windshield washer thing, you know, like, shh. And as I drive, it seems every five minutes I have to like clear the sludge off my windshield again and get that, that windshield washer fluid going. That's just like life in the sin-stained world we live in. We are getting thrown sin at us all the time. Couple that with our natural propensity to go in the direction we ought not to go. And it seems like consistently on a daily basis, more than once or twice, we need to be asking for the washing of the blood of Jesus over our lives again, that God would give us a new mercy and a new grace in the day. So David just acknowledges that right off the bat. It would be well for us to acknowledge that right off the bat again every single morning as we spend time with the Lord in prayer, whether it's morning or night, to spend time with prayer saying, God, I'm just going to acknowledge first and foremost before we get anything else, that man, I need your mercy, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm just going to bank on again today that it's your love and your mercy that are going to carry me through the day. I can't do the day on my own. I need you again, God. And then to follow suit with what David did here and simply deal with the sin that is in your life head on. When was the last time you bowed before God and really dealt with the sin that was in your life just head on? No excuses, no trying to dodge it. Here's what David says next. He says, God, I need your mercy. God, I need your mercy every day. Number two is this, God, I want you to deal with my sin head on. Look what he says here in verse three. I love the purity of heart. And this, is, this ought to be part of our prayer lives with the Lord, just open and honest. He already knows anyways. We're not fooling him. We might think we could fool our mom or our teachers or our friends or our spouses, but guess what? We can't fool God. David gets that. David gets that. God doesn't fall for these tricks or play those games. So here's what David says. He's like, God, you already know anyway, so here's the deal. Here's the deal with my heart. I just want to be open and have an intimate, honest relationship with you. He says in verse 3 this. For God, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, God, it's true, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, Lord, you delight in truth. See this? God delights in truth in the inward being. Not hiding, not running. He delights in truth in the inward being. And when we're truthful for him, he teaches us wisdom in the secret heart. True prayers of repentance are simply this. God, I want to deal with my sin head on. I know it's there. You know it's there. Here's the thing. God is holy. We forget this a lot. We emphasize the grace and the love. That is true. But we also forget that God is holy and he's, he's morally perfect. And anything in contact with morally perfect, it just can't happen. 
And so as much as he loves us, he looks at us, and when we, we sin both inadvertently and on, on purpose, it causes a grieving in the Spirit of God. It, it causes a, a holy hatred for the things that are ruining your soul and destroying your life and those around you. And yet often we only come to God when we get caught in our sin. But God doesn't want us to wait until our sins find us out. He loves us too much. He wants us to bring it to him constantly so that he, we can, he can deal with it and take it away before we know the full effect of it in our lives and the lives of those around us. There's always something to confess. I read this and we look so down on David. We're like, man, that guy was, he was a horrible Christian. And yet I look at my own heart and man, this could be said of me. This could be said of you. Look what David says. Here's some things about your sin you have to realize if you're really going to get this whole heart of repentance. In dealing with your sin head on, you first have to start with this. Your sin is always before you. Look what David says, for I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Here's where, here's where David was. David was just like crushed by his own sin. He, he, he was trying to shake it, trying to forget it, trying to move on. But the reality is we can't move on from our sin. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, it's going to follow us every single place we go. David's like, I, I can't shake it. I close my eyes, it doesn't go away. I run to another place, it's still there. My sin is always before me. It, weighs, it was weighing heavy on his heart, clearly. Sin weighs heavy on our heart. When we're stumbling around in the darkness, we're like, why am I so heavy? First place to look is, do I have unconfessed sin in my life? Because as much as you want to try and run from it, guess what? It's going to follow you wherever you go until you bring it before the Lord. Maybe it's not a besetting sin or a monster sin like David did, but every little sin against God is the same in God's eyes. It's moral impurity. It doesn't align with his character and his nature. And so every day we have something new to confess. If you wake up in the morning, you have nothing new to confess from the day before. There's something wrong in your heart. You've got to start going like, God, I, don't, I must be missing something because I don't know about you, but I amaze myself at my propensity to sin. Anyone with me? Just when I think I'm not sinning, I'm realizing that I'm sinning with the stupid self-righteous pride that is deep within my heart. I amaze myself at my propensity to sin. And there's never been a day in my life where I've woken up and said, well, God, i got nothing to confess today. Just got to sit there for a minute or two and it'll come. And I think we think, we think somehow in the Christian life that we get to this place where we're not sinning anymore. That's just false. 1 John 1.8 says, if you claim to have no sin, if you claim to have no sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. Indwelling sin is a reality of our lives that God wants to take care of so it doesn't hinder our relationship with him. It doesn't, it doesn't stop our other relationship in the world. It doesn't wreck our souls. Sin is like cancer to the soul. And it's ever before me. You know what else it is? It's another, right from the passage here. Verse 4. You're not going to have a heart for repentance if you don't get this. Your sin is against God alone. So often we don't confess because we minimize our sin. We say it's not hurting anybody. It's not a big deal. It's just me and my sin. It's, it's just a minor consequence. But look what it says here in verse 4. Against you, and David realizes the fullness of his sin, against you and you alone have I sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. This is the biggest concern for David. Yeah, he had a lot to be concerned about. He, he sinned against Bathsheba, correct? He's not saying he did, and he did, right? He sinned against Uriah, right? Both with cheating on him with his wife, and then by putting him to death, he sinned against Uriah. His sin had a great consequences in his family. His family fell apart after the whole ordeal. But yet in the heart of hearts, the Holy Spirit was convicting David that his greatest person he's offended is who? It's God. If we don't get that, we're just going to walk through life and never confess sin because it's not a big deal to us. But sin is a big deal to God. It's the one you sin against first and foremost. It's such a big deal to God that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to take care of the problem of sin. That's how big of a deal it is to God. And so every time we sin, it's really 
If you think about it this way, it's really us kind of smirking at the death of Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah, he died, but I'm all good. And kind of scoffing at the father of our house who's made some good guidelines and rules for us to keep us and protect us when we choose to willfully sin. It's sort of like disregarding all things of God, and it's against God alone. Just like when you grew up and you sinned against the rules in your house that were there for your good and your benefit, it was, it was choosing to rebel against God. That's the same thing. Every sin we commit is a choice to rebel against the love and the grace of God. Well, how we fool ourselves when we think that somehow our sin is, it's only against me, it's not a big deal, or it's against my wife or my kids or my best friend or my co-worker or the random guy that I flipped off because he cut me off. But that's not who first and foremost your sin is against. It's against God. And let's get this straight. We know God is love and God is gracious and God is merciful, merciful, yes. But in a proper, holy, healthy way, here's what sin does. Sin ticks off God. It grieves the heart of God. It's an affront to the character of God. And God just doesn't sit back and idly watch his children walk into sin. We see it in the Old Testament. He has great energy and passion for his children walking in righteousness and holiness. So somewhere in the depths of our souls, we have to ask God to help us see sin for what it really is. It's against God alone, and it's not just that. It's also this. Next verse. So you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So it's, it's really to show, God wants us to be righteous, to show that he is, he is all good and he's, he's perfect and Sin is also this, is a part of who I am. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. There's no point denying our sin, brothers and sisters. There's no point in pretending that we're better than we really are before each other and before God. Because the reality is, we are all just like David. We are brought forth in iniquity. You know what that means? We're born into sin. And in sin did my mother conceive me. It's just a just natural propensity of who we are. From birth, there's never been a time in your life where you've been completely free of your own sin. It's a doctrine called total depravity. No one had to teach you, no one had to teach you how to cry when you didn't get your own way. No one had to, and and adults still do this, by the way. No one had to teach you how to be selfish with your stuff or to keep going one way when you're told no. No one had to teach you how to make yourself the center of the universe. Sin is as as much a part of my DNA as one of my weirdest quirks. It's sin. From David's first first breath to yours and mine, sin will and will always be a part of the human experience. It's going to affect the way that we think. It's going to uh, alter the way that we act and interact and respond with others. It's going to affect what we feel. It's sin. And who gets to blame for my sin? Who gets to blame for my sin? It's not God. It's not the devil, James 1 says. Who is it? It's me. me. It's not my upbringing. It's not all the horrible experiences I've had in my life. It's not the way people treat me. You know where sin comes from? Me. I know it's messing with some of you in your theology, but I'm a good person. And I was only angry because my son made me angry. I only did that because my coworker did this. And so we miss the repentance and confession because somehow sin is everybody else's deal, but it's certainly not mine. You know how many times I've had to go back and tell my son, Zach, you didn't make me angry. What you did is wrong. What you're, my daddy was not angry because of you. Daddy was angry because of daddy. And like, you need to ask for forgiveness for your sin. I'm going to ask forgiveness for my sin right now. We're going to do it together and walk in God's grace. Sin is a big deal to God. It's not just the sins of commission, the blatant things you do, the things I know I shouldn't do and do it anyways, like David here, murder and adultery, the, the anger and the anxiety that we have, is the greed that wells up within us, the unforgiveness that many of us carry in life, and it just messes everything up, the gossip and the slander, the lust and the laziness, the list could go on and on. I, the divisiveness, the substance abuse of any kind. It's not just the sins of, of 
commission, the sins, the things that I know I shouldn't do, do it anyway that I need to confess before God. It's also the sins of omission, the things that, that I know I should do and don't do them. This is what the Bible says, those are also sin. Anytime you know what you ought to do and don't do it, James says, you're sinning. And these are the sins we need to bring before the Lord too, like, like the sin of not loving God and your neighbor as yourself. Like the sin of being impure. The sin of not being patient and kind. The sin of not being generous or content or faithful. The sin of ignoring the word of God in prayer and worship and evangelism. The four pillars we claim. If you didn't think you had a lot of reason for repentance and confession before you came in, you getting it now? You getting it now? You know why this is so important? Because we miss this. We miss God in our lives. We miss repentance. We miss that vital connection with our God. And we miss the vital connection with our God and our prayers go unheard and we get frustrated and discouraged and in angst. And then we get mad at God and God's not the deal at all. Guess what the deal is? It's right here. Even our physical bodies know that we have to be purged of all the things that are there that aren't good more than one time a day. You know what I mean by that, right? I don't have to go into detail, do I? Do I? Some of you really have no clue what I'm talking about. But it's the same with our souls. Our souls during the day just collect all the impurities, it seems. And so we need to be purged of those things. How do we purge those things? It's not that we go to the restroom. It's not that we go to the Pope. We go before God and say, God, I need forgiveness again. And sometimes that happens many times a day. When's the best time to confess your sin? When it happens. Ah, oh, just sin. Instead of like trying to like worm your way out of it and try and rationalize your head, you know the best time to confess your sin is when? As soon as it happens. First response, hey, God's given me this amazing avenue of prayer and instead of carrying this the rest of my day, I can stop right now and ask confession and, and God says that he is faithful and just and will forgive me of all my sins, including the one I just committed 14 seconds ago. Confession is a must in our lives. When sin is close, you know what's going to happen? God is going to feel far off. And when God feels far off, you're going to avoid him like the plague, and you're not going to want to pray. And when you do pray, it's going to be stumbling, it's going to be hard, it's going to be cold, it's going to be stale. And you won't be enjoying a full relationship with your father. Confession's a must. Four ways I just come up with here as we study the scriptures and as I pray in my own heart, four things that are true in my own heart as I even think of confession on a daily basis, four attitudes towards sin in my own prayer life that you might see in your own prayer life too. The first one is this. We can acknowledge this, but the first one is this, is we're oblivious to it. We just can't see it. You might be sitting here today, so he's talking about everybody else, but this is a message that's not for me. That means that you fall into this category. You're oblivious to your sin. And so here's where you start in your prayer life. If you're oblivious to sin, if you're one of those people that thinks that, man, I'm becoming so good that I don't sin anymore, then, then Psalm 139 tells us a good place to start your confession time before the Lord of the prayer like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Try me and know my heart. Sit before the Lord and say, God, if there's sin, I want to see it. I don't want to ignore it. I want to see it. Why do I want to see it? Not so I feel guilty and crummy about myself, so that I can confess it before God. might hurt a little bit, but guess what? It's for your good and God's glory that he reveals to your sin. It's going to enhance your life as you deal with it. The second attitude we have, I think, that keeps us from praying a prayer like David is that we're nonchalant about it. We just don't care about it. We think it's no big deal to God. And we've already said it. It was such a big deal to God. He sent his son Jesus to take care of it. And when we confess it, we tell God that we care about what he cares about. And when we don't, we really tell God every single day that we want to skip the part that gets me under God's authority. We want to live our lives by our own authority. Do you also recognize when we're nonchalant with sin, the terrible detriment of sin to our lives? Here's what sin does. Sin takes you where you don't want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay, and it costs you more than you want to pay. There's never in God's economy just a little sin that doesn't matter. 
and takes you where you don't want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Third one is this. We just become stubborn in our hearts. Ever been there? Or just your pastor? Just the pastor, you mean? Okay, good. (laughs) We know we should confess. We know this is a part of biblical prayers, confession, but we just don't want to go there and tell the Lord. So we'd rather hold on to it for whatever reason because we think, well, if I hold on to it, I'm going to be justified. Or if I hold on to it, I'm going to get back at the person who... Sin is like cancer. The longer you leave it, the greater the tumor grows, the more damage it does, and the harder it is to remove. That's sin. So if you're here this morning and you're like hearing this, you're like, I know I should confess sin. I know there's something blocking my relationship with God. I know my prayer life isn't what it should be because I have this sin. I know exactly what it is. The Holy Spirit's revealing it to you right now in your seat. You know exactly what your sin is, but you're like, I'm not confessing that to God. Can I just gently and pastorally tell you this? Just suck it up and swallow your pride. And ask God, God, break me of my sin. Take it away, oh God. Soften my heart. Can I tell you this? The best place for you to be is on your face asking God for brokenness over your sin and don't get up until God does it. Don't get up until God does it. And the fourth response, which is David's response, is this. is simply a contrite heart. Just own it. Just own it. There's so much at stake to not own it. Just own it. Flip over to verse 17. Here's what, it's, here's, what, here's what God says in verse 17. The sacrifices of God. Here's what God really delights in. A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And oh God, you will not despise this. God despises sin. But you know what he does not despise? The person that comes to him and just says, God, I'm broken and I need fixing. God does not despise that. God sees you in your brokenness. And when you acknowledge that you're broken and need fixing, that's when God's spirit rushes in and starts putting you back together again. Until you acknowledge that, he's not gonna, he can't fix you. There's so much power in repentance and confession that we miss out on because we are too proud to bring this element of wide-out openness in our relationship with God. William McDonald says it so well. Here's what a contrite heart really looks like. Here's what I'm praying for my heart and your heart this coming year. Here's how he paraphrases what David would say, and here's what I think he paraphrased my own heart when he said, this is what we want our hearts to look like. William McDonald Here's what a contrite heart really looks like. He says this, I now see clearly that my sin was against you and you alone, O God. Forgive me for my treachery. When was the last time you used a word like treachery for your sin? I realize that all sin is first and foremost against you. Your law has been broken. Your will has been flouted or disregarded. Your name has been dishonored. So here's what a true contrite heart does. So I take sides with you against myself. That's true repentance. I think many people have no idea what true repentance is anymore. Okay, I'm going to say my praise. Confession time. Okay, God, I did this, 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 this. Sorry. Keep going. Now I need this, 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 and this. And when you do it, I'll give you praise. I'll tell everybody. True repentance is this. I now see clearly that my sin is against you and you alone. Oh God, forgive me for my treachery. Only God's spirit can help us see this for what it is. I realize that sin is first and foremost against you. Your law has been broken. Your will has been disregarded. Your name has been dishonored. So I take sides with you against myself. Yes, God is true and loving. And we'll forgive all our sins. But 1 John 1, 9 says, there's a, there's a clause, there's a little word before that. It says, if, if I confess my sin, 
God is faithful and just and will cleanse. There's an if there. There's an if there. If I'm humble enough to come and confess it, then God will forgive it. And God will restore your life. But if I do not, you can be assured of some things. You can be assured that you will not find the blessing of God. You'll be assured you'll not see God clearly. You'll be assured that you will not hear his voice loudly. You'll be assured that he won't hear your voice when you pray. This is not the most favorite message that a pastor gets to preach. Can I be honest with you? probably the most necessary. It's probably the most necessary. I just implore you today, if God's Spirit is speaking to you, to don't disregard what His Spirit is showing you. That's a God who is loving you, a God is pursuing you. A God who wants to bring your knees in repentance so He can break the sin that is crushing your life and probably those around you that you do not see. And all he asks of you, he's willing, he's able, he's standing strong up in heaven. All he's asking you is that you be humble enough to come and get on your knees and confess. And then you will see the power and the presence of God that you maybe haven't seen in a long time in your life. You'll see the Spirit of God rushing into your soul. You'll see some of the things that David asks for next. God's forgiveness and God's restoration and a fullness of the presence of God again. This is what we long for in our lives. We want to know the fullness of the presence of God. It comes through praise and repentance. Repentant heart doesn't just run from our sin. It deals with it head on. I commend that to your prayer life to acknowledge you need God's mercy every single day to make confession and repentance a part of your life. You'll never be the same. You'll never pray the same when you do that. It'll be so powerful and so life-giving and so new. And then this third thing is the final thing. It's this, the third cry of a truly repentant heart. God, I just want to be right with you. I just want to be right with you. Here's the essence of what David is saying. This He's not just dwelling on the sin. It's important to deal with it and to acknowledge it and to confess it. But ultimately, why is David doing this? Because he wants fully the, the presence and the power and the blessing of God in his life. Look what he says in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop. So I will be clean. It's referring to the ceremonial cleansing of the Old Testament. Purge me with hyssop so that I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. This is the gospel of grace. Here you confess, here's what God's going to do in your life. Let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, O God, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Look at verse 11. Cast me not away from your presence, O God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Instead, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the desire of a person who is truly following Jesus Christ with all that they have. The most important thing you can have with God in your prayer life is a forgiveness and a relationship that is close and tight and new and real and full. More than a new house, more than a better job or wisdom in the business decisions or how to raise your kids or how to relate to your parents or even for physical health, what you and I need most, first and foremost, from God every single day is a fullness of the presence and spirit of God. Amen? So verses 7 to 12 should catapult to the top of your prayer list after the thank you, God, for how great you are, for all your gifts and blessings. Oh, God, now what I need most, more than anything else, more than my list, what I need most is simply you. We come to God for what? We come to God for God first and foremost. David here is praying for this. He's praying for 
a deeper purity, a holier outlook, a renewed passion for the things of God, a life rooted in Christ's righteousness and, and that has lived and walked in God's fullness. And we have that. Guess what? All the rest of the things fall into place. The most significant thing we can have from God in our prayer lives is God himself. And everything else after that falls into place. Including knowing what to pray for and how to pray for it. And so if we miss some of these things, we miss the full essence of what our prayer lives ought to be. And David here is not just praying that God would take away his sin, but he's praying to replace it with a heart that beats for God and a clear sense of God's awesome presence. Look at some of the things he says here. Again, when was the last time you prayed some of these things? This is the, where the life of Jesus is found. Purge me, God. Like a surgeon, remove the tumor of sin from my heart. Cleanse me. Scrub my heart clean from any impurities, oh God. I can't scrub it clean. I can't even cover it. Cleanse me, oh God. Renew me in the joy and the gladness. You realize that repentance brings true joy and gladness in the Lord and the joy of your salvation. Clear me, oh God. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Clear me, O God. Destroy the records of my sin. Erase all my wrongs. Don't just trash them. Remove them from the hard drive. Create create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Renew within me a spirit of the, the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence. Bring me close, Lord. Bring me close to your side. Don't give up on me. And fill me, fill me. Take not your spirit from me. God will never take his Holy Spirit from us. We know that we're sealed until the day of redemption. But, but this is a prayer for God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with the fullness of, of what you have for me. God will never take his Holy Spirit from you, but your sin can quench the Holy Spirit in your life. So as followers of Jesus Christ, this isn't like a... a a punishment here. This isn't a punishment that we now have to confess and we're bad people. This is a joy and a privilege and a delight for us as believers. God has given us the privilege of being cleansed new every single day. And guess what? Even if God doesn't answer any one of your physical prayers that you've prayed your whole life and he answers just these prayers, you will find the full satisfaction and joy of the Lord, more joy than this world could ever give you. And these are prayers that God is always going to say yes to. You know, sometimes at the beginning of this series, he says, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, sometimes God says not yet. These are the prayers that God will always say yes, immediately, right now, you get it. God, forgive me. You know what he's going to say every time? Yes. You have to wonder, is he going to say yes or no? Yes. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. What's he going to say? Yes. God, give me more of your life-giving Holy Spirit in me. Yes. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Yes, flood me with your presence. He's going to say yes. Give me a pure heart. He's going to say what? Matthew 5, 8 tells us when we have a pure heart, then you will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for you will Know God's blessing upon your life. Blessed are the pure in heart, you'll see God clearly. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will delight in communing with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, he will hear, you will hear his voice. Blessed are the pure in heart, he will hear your voice. Blessed are the pure in heart, because you will know God's heart. And that will allow you to pray like never before and see God answer like never before. John Newton wrote a song called Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader that was turned minister by the power of Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, he said, there's two things I will never forget. There's two things I will never forget. That I am a great sinner and that Jesus is a great savior. That I am a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior. This is all rooted in the gospel because we have the God who came to not just purify us once for our sins, yes, but to continually come before God. I'll purify you again for the sins that you've committed against me that are keeping you from a vital relationship with me. It's God's grace to us that he's given us the examples in Scripture of what it means to praise, but also what it means to repent. 
The gospel is packaged in so many ways today that I don't even take for granted anymore that some people here might think they know Jesus but have never re- truly repented of their sins. And the scriptures clearly tell us that it's through repentance and faith that we come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Not just for Jesus is cool. I want what Jesus gives. I want heaven. It comes through repentance and faith that Jesus is the Son of God and came to take away the sins of the world, yours and mine included. If you've never tasted and seen the fullness of Jesus, that'd be a great place to start right there. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Some of us here, we know all these things, but it's been a long time. It's been a long time since we've truly been broken of our sin. We know we should be. But we refuse to allow God's Spirit to really break us. May today be the day that that happens for the glory of Jesus. As we close today, I'm not going to pray. You want to stand with me? We're going to pray together. We're going to pray together. The prayer that's on the screen, I don't want you just saying words today. I don't want you just saying words. I want you to ask God to make these words a reality of your heart. There's going to be some big words in here. Just stumble over them. We'll do it together. But you get the heart of what he's saying. Let's pray this together, and then we're going to sing our last song. O God of grace, together, thou has imputed my sin to my substitute and has imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with the bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags, My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My grieving the spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace I am always receiving charge of raiment. For thou dost always justify the ungodly. I am always going off into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. And stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.